If you would this morning, let's go back to the book of Colossians. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2. If you'll remember, as we've been going through the book of Colossians, as always mentioned as a precursor, um, Colossians is one of the prison epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he was writing in response to his friend Epaphras, who had actually founded this church at Colossae. And he was concerned because there was so much heresy, not in the church, but in the city of Colossae. And he was concerned that false teaching might make its way into the church. And so he was kind of being a watchman on the wall. And the two things that Paul specifically addresses, two specific types of heresy, are the uh, work salvation of Judaism, the old, you know, keeping of the Old Testament law and adding works to grace, uh, but also... Uh, there was a form of mysticism going around where uh, you know, people were supposedly having visions and hearing from God and getting messages from God apart from the revelation that God's given us, which as I mentioned, that's how every single cult in this country started, with the extra-biblical revelation. Uh, we know all, all about that around here. Uh, so this book is very relevant, just like all of Scripture is relevant even for today. And in the first chapter, you know, Paul really, uh, instead of just going straight into what's wrong with these false religions, he really takes his time reminding the Colossians of what is true, what their foundation is in the gospel, who they are in Jesus Christ. He reminds them of uh, how he prays for them, how he has a, a heart for them. He reminds them of who Jesus Christ is, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the creator of all things. And so uh, once we recognize, you know, we can't stand against anything if we're not standing on anything. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with the professing church in America. It's impossible to stand against anything if you're not standing on anything. And so we, we must stand on the Word of God. That is our authority. And last week we looked specifically at Paul trying to encourage these believers at Colossae, and even used the word comforted, and how they could be comforted even in their trials. No doubt they would be facing persecution because of all the false teaching and because of all the heresy. And so he is telling them how they can find comfort even in their trials and in their circumstances. And, uh, you know, that's something that, if I'm honest, you know, I struggle with that sometimes. And even though we're not under great persecution, even though uh, comparatively speaking, we have it great in this country, we still face trials, we, we face suffering and temptation, and, and sometimes if we're not careful, we won't feel very comforted in the Lord. We won't feel the joy of the Lord and experience that joy of His presence like we should, and we allow things to rob that from us. But Paul is telling us where we can find comfort as Christians. And so uh, last week <clears throat> we talked specifically about the love aspect. That uh, He talks about being comforted, uh, having our hearts knit together in love. We talked about the love of God and having our hearts knit to God through the gospel and our hearts knit toward each other and with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and how that love... Uh, ought to show forth in our lifestyle towards sinners. And so, uh, you know, what a comfort it is uh, to be grounded and rooted in the love of God. 
Uh, but that, it doesn't stop there. And so today we're going to look at the comfort of assurance. Let's read our text today. We'll be in um, Colossians 2 and I'll read the first seven verses. Paul says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We just come to you in Jesus' name. We're so thankful uh, for this opportunity that you give us every Sunday to join and also on Wednesday. And God, just to hear your word, to sing these wonderful songs and uh, God, just to magnify Christ together corporately as a body of Christ that you've assembled here at Grace Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that we, we would be salt and light in these last days. Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't be overco- overcome by the false teaching on the outside but that we would take the truth of the gospel to a lost and, and dying world. And I do pray you enter me as sin itself. Just fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that preaching would be clear and powerful and that Christ would be seen above all else. Lord, show us where we are and take us where we need to be in our relationship with you. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. So we're looking at uh, Christian Comforts Part 2 and specifically the comfort that comes with assurance. And the question that I really want to wrestle with today is, in what ways can we find comfort in the assurance and understanding of the mystery of Christ? You know, it's, in our society, uh, we've really got slack on words. Uh, you know, words have meaning, or at least they should. And one of the hallmarks of a society that doesn't care about truth is they get caught up in cliches that have no meaning. It, it, their language becomes word salad. Uh, you know, we mentioned, we were talking about love last week and how uh, one of the popular phrases that you'll hear today is, well, love is love. It's a completely meaningless statement because it begs the question, okay, well, what is love? Well, love is love. Well, what is love? They've done the same thing even with gender. You'll hear the saying, well, trans women are women. Well, what are women? Well, well, trans women are women. Okay, but what are women? As soon as you define what a woman is, it destroys that whole concept. Uh, As soon as you define what love is, it destroys the concept that they're trying uh, to present. And and I think that that can be true with assurance as well. Assurance is just one of those words that we like. It just sounds good. There's something comforting about assurance. But then you have to ask the question, well, assurance in what? Because your assurance is only as good as the object that you're assured of. And so that's what I want to wrestle with today in finding full assurance, but it's got to be in the right thing and even more importantly in the right person. Of course, that being Jesus Christ. 
So in what ways can we find comfort in the assurance and understanding of the mystery of Christ? The first thing that I want you to know about today is the understanding of assurance. There's great comfort in a proper understanding of assurance. Look at verse 1. He said, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you. Paul has a great pastor's heart for these Colossian believers. And he says, And for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Guess what? That applies to us today, doesn't it? That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all... Man, this is a beautiful statement here. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and to the Father and of Christ. So he emphasizes there's great riches, there's comfort in the full assurance and understanding of the mystery of God. Understanding speaks of knowledge, and there is an old saying that knowledge is power. But I'll say that that knowledge is power, that saying is only partially true, and, and here's the reason why. The question is, what do we have knowledge of? We can have a lot of useless knowledge, and we definitely do. Probably never in the history of man have we acquired such useless knowledge. Um, <clears throat> most people have a knowledge of sinful and illicit things. Uh, many people have a knowledge of, of pop culture and movie stars and things of that nature, but these things don't really help us, and certainly not in our trials. Uh, they, give, they don't give us any real power in life. In fact, in many cases, they become our vices. But the text says that comfort comes from a full assurance of understanding, and that's in reference to the mystery of God. We can find comfort by understanding the mystery of God. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But I would say that uh, you know, many people can name the players on their favorite sports teams, no problem. Uh, they can name the characters from their favorite television shows. Uh, but they couldn't tell you a thing about God or the Bible. I remember, uh, it's about a year or two before we moved from Alabama, uh, there was a guy that would go up to certain places in Alabama, most specifically around Birmingham. And we had a pretty big mall up in Birmingham called the Galleria. And he would go to the Galleria and he would interview people. And you got to understand, I, live in the, I lived in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I grew up in the buckle of the Bible Belt. We have more churches than gas stations over there. And, and it, it just used to hurt me so bad, I got to the point I couldn't even watch it. It hurt me too bad. Uh, but, it, but the last video I watched, and I just couldn't deal with it anymore, he would ask him questions about cop culture, you know, and the Kardashians, and Nicki Minaj, and, you know, Taylor Swift, and... People would just light up and rattle off facts and lyrics to songs. I mean, they knew it like the back of their hand. And they said, well, let me... Here's another uh, trivia question for you. Just a basic Bible question. Can you name any of the four Gospels in the New Testament? And it's like they were just... just their eyes would just glaze over and they just... They didn't know. They couldn't name Him. Here in the buckle of the Bible belt. And it just used to disturb me so bad... When I was on the radio show over there, we honestly, we had to stop, we had to stop doing uh, a session that we did. We used to uh, have trivia questions, Bible trivia. We gave out prizes to callers that could give the answer. And it was to the point where I'm like, what are, 
what, how can I dumb this down anymore? Like, I, we, people didn't know the answers to basic Bible questions. And what's so sad is that's not saying that people are dumb or they can't learn or they're stupid. I mean, obviously they had memorized things that were important to them. It's because they have not applied themselves. They don't see the benefit in applying themselves in seeking uh, to understand who God is. We don't even know who God is in this country. We don't know who God is. Uh, The only God that people know is the one they've created in their own mind. And But the comfort comes from knowing about the true God. And the reason that so many people and families and nations in this world are so wrecked is because they don't have an understanding of who God is. Uh, Hosea once said of the Jews, uh, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh, Jesus said that the Word of God is truth. John 17, 17, when He was praying to God the Father, He said, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. That means to cleanse, to sanctify. But Jesus also said that it's the truth that makes us free. John 8 and verse 32. So if the truth of the Word of God is what sets us free, guess what happens when we don't know it? We become enslaved by lies. And that's where we're at right now in this country. I I really believe in my heart that the majority of Americans would believe whatever they heard on television. That's a scary thought. And that's how people are controlled by fear and other things. Um, The reason that so many people are enslaved by sin, lost in the vanity of their mind and they're a slave to their idols, is because they don't know the truth of the Word of God that would set them free. The Word of God gives us an understanding of the God of the Word. And in this specific context in Colossians, it's talking about the mystery of God. Now remember, I mentioned this last week briefly, that a mystery in Scripture is a previous or or vague Old Testament truth uh, that God has revealed in the Scripture of the New Testament. We talked about, uh, for example, the virgin birth, which is a part of the mystery of God. How even Isaiah made clear prophecies about the virgin birth when there's no way he could have understood what he was talking about and neither could the people that uh, heard him. But the New Testament clarifies what that is. It's the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I'll also say this about a mystery. A mystery can also be something that God reveals to His children through the Word that the world is completely blind to. It is so amazing. You know... Uh, English and language and etymology, they all have basic rules of interpretation. Uh, you, you know, and one thing that I've really talked to the LDS about, that they try to act like, oh, well, you know, yeah, well, the, the words of the Bible, they may be right. They may not say that, but some of them will. Well, they may be right, but, you know, we're so flawed that, you know, we can't, it doesn't matter because we can't understand what God put in His Word. I'm going to tell you why that's so ridiculous. Number one, that's agnostic. It means you can't know. Secondly, uh, God gave us language and words have meaning. And so, yes, God is capable of giving us His Word that we can understand, that we can uh, apply to our lives. Now, obviously, there's some things that are more clear than others. There's some things about God that we are never going to understand until we get to heaven. I understand that. But the overwhelming majority of what he wants us to know, if we would just get serious 
and take a grammatical historical approach to Scripture. Let the Scripture speak and get the message from the text instead of taking your own ideas and trying to cram it into the text. It's amazing how unified the church would be. <laughs> it really is. Um, and so he's, he's been clear about that. He's given us His Word. And the world is blind to that. And, and my point in saying that is somebody who's spiritually blind, they've never been saved, they have no desire to know God. It's amazing how they can make this Bible say anything they want it to say. It is unimaginable. We've got, we've got so-called Christian apologists who are taking the Bible to try to defend homosexuality and homosexual marriage and the trans movement and all that. How do you get that from Scripture? You don't get it from Scripture. Uh, I tell you what you do, you twist Scripture just like Satan did. You do realize that when... Uh, Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came to tempt him, that Satan actually quoted Scripture to Jesus. Go back and look at it. There's a few different times where Jesus said, it is written, it is written. And he's going back to the Old Testament because Jesus saw the Word of God as an authority. He still does, by the way, just like we should. And lo and behold, what does old Slewfoot do? He says, it is written. And he quoted Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 to Jesus, but he removed four words. And it changed the whole meaning. Took it out of context, removed some words. So if you want to be like Satan, twist Scripture to make it say what you want it to say. That's it. I mean, that's as close to Satan as I can think of. And so we need to understand what the Word of God says, apply ourselves, read it, study it. Uh, listen to good, solid preaching and teaching and read good, solid books and commentaries all in a desire to know really what God said. Um, <clears throat> the, the mystery of that is that sometimes people are blind to it. They, they can't see it even though it's, it's literally here in black and white. So the mystery here. But here's what I want you to know. This is very important. The textbook definition of the mystery of God is found in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, or the mystery of God is what that's talking about. And here it is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's the mystery of God. That God came to this earth, took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for sin, rose again on the third day, and ascended to the Father, and He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. That's the mystery of God. And so the more we understand about that, the more comfort that we're going to find as believers. This is clearly talking about Christ. Um, for the born-again Christian, these are the most basic of truths. Without a basic understanding and acceptance of these things, someone is not even a Christian. If somebody does not believe in the virgin birth, the sinless life of Christ, the deity of Christ, uh, the, the, the crucifixion of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, and salvation by grace through faith alone in that message, they are not a Christian. They're just not. Because once again, words have meaning. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you've got to believe these things. Um, and by the way, this is where the cults get it wrong every single time. There's two areas that the cults are always going to mess it up. And that is the deity of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Christ alone to save. They get it wrong every time. It, like I said, it is a talent. Um, 
1 John 4, verses 2 and 3 has this to say about that. And it says, Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit, little s, spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. And what that means when it talks about confessing that Christ came in the flesh, it's literally saying that God came in the flesh. I mean, obviously, you know, even the Muslims believe that there was a man, a historical Jesus, uh, that walked through Israel 2,000 years ago, but they don't ascribe deity to Him. Uh, So it doesn't just mean, oh, I believe in a historical Jesus. No, you believe that God took upon flesh and came into this world. That's what that means. If they get that wrong, they're not of Christ. I don't care how well they dress. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how much they smile. I don't care. They're liars. And we need to recognize that. You know, Satan is not walking around with a pitchfork and pointy horns and a tail and everything else. No, he comes across as a creature of beauty. He is a master deceiver. But for us, it's a comfort to know that God came to earth in human flesh and lived the life that we could never live, died for our sin, rose from the dead, and is seated in power right now at the right hand of God. And the message of the gospel is that if we would just repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work, that He would forgive us and cleanse us of our sin, that He would put us in a right relationship with God, and we'd be assured that we have a home in heaven when we die. What could be a greater comfort than knowing those things? There's a lot of people that don't have that. And we can find comfort in the mystery of God because it takes away the fear of everything else that we don't know. Well, when are you going to die? I don't know, but it really doesn't matter because I know where I'm going when I do die. Well, I've got cancer. Well, that's unfortunate, but I'm either going to get better here or get better there. Uh, God's going to take care of that. Oh, and by the way, there's no such thing as purposeless suffering for the child of God. How wonderful is that? Um, Every trial we face is just temporary. It takes away the sting from all of life's trials when we know these eternal truths. But until a person surrenders to the knowledge of the mystery of God, God will remain a mystery to them. If they don't accept these basic things, they're not going to accept anything else. Uh, we need to make a commitment to learn and to know more about God. I would encourage you, try to memorize Scripture. Uh, maybe one verse a day, uh, Make a, make a list or make a journal and just go over in your head. Memorize certain texts like the prologue of John or Isaiah 53 or Psalm 23. Memorize these. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I mean, if you, you know, God forbid if the persecution starts in this country anytime soon and who knows, maybe they take our Bibles, we get thrown in prison. I don't know if that will ever happen, but it might. Uh, if you, if you couldn't get a hold of a Bible, if you didn't have access to a Bible, how much of it do you have hidden in your heart? It's so important. It's so important. And we can find comfort in the mystery of God, which is Christ in the flesh. Uh, but number two, <coughs> talking about the comfort of assurance, we, we need to know about the acknowledgement of assurance here. Um, look at verse 2 again their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God 
and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, it's not enough to simply have a basic head knowledge about the facts of God in the Bible. That doesn't necessarily make you saved. It can just puff you up and make you think you're saved. Uh, we, we must also acknowledge our need for Him. It uses the word understanding, but it also says to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. And so we must acknowledge our need for Him. And this is when it becomes personal. Because the word acknowledgement, it presupposes a need. Um, I immediately thought about Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. And so the word acknowledgement, even in the small things, it said, In all thy ways acknowledge Him. Lord, I need you here. God, what do you want me to do here? And and we acknowledge our need of Him uh, in, every, in everything in our life, and so it presupposes a need. You know, you can know something without realizing your need of that something. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make. Um, it's, it's possible to know something without acknowledging it. Um, like, for example, I acknowledge that life exists on this planet. We all get that. I acknowledge that there are many constant variables that make that possible. Just the right amount of oxygen and nitrogen and hydrogen, all these gases in the environment to keep us alive. Just the right distance from the sun. Uh, you know, so many, you know, the, the amount of water that we have and all these different things that make life possible. I acknowledge that, but I don't know how all of that works except to just admit, hey, God's holding all of it together. We, we discussed that a few weeks ago. But in a specific context, Paul is talking about acknowledging the triune God of Scripture. Look at the last part of verse 2 where he talks about the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, this is not, this is not pitting the Father against Christ. And it's not saying that one of them is God and the other one's not God. It is one of the strongest passages in the Bible for the Trinity. Now, it doesn't specifically mention the Holy Spirit here, but it already took care of that. In chapter 1, it talked about the Holy Spirit. But here it's talking about the, uh, the fact that God the Father and God the Son are co-equal and co-eternal. Because it says the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, but then it says in whom. Well, who's it talking about? Is it talking about the Father? Is it talking about Christ? Well, the answer is yes. It's talking about both of them. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, Christ, when He was here on the earth, He was the full embodiment of God. He had all the attributes of God. He was the, he was the embodiment of the fullness of the Godhead. And, and so, you know, even the Trinity is something that we have to acknowledge but we don't necessarily understand it. Some things we just have to accept by faith because God's Word says it. We don't quite understand that. Uh, and I've, I've talked to so many people, even some this week, even one this morning about this very thing. Um, <coughs> that uh, the, the truth of the matter is that a God, little g, a God that is subject to our own logic is a God of our own making. And there are so many people who reject God because He doesn't fit into their idol of their own logic. Uh, even this morning, um, 
from some old videos on my YouTube channel, there's one that seems to get more, a lot more traction than many of the other ones. I was on the campus of Mississippi State University and had a body cam on, and there was some Jehovah's Witness out there with their little, you know, stand of books and everything, and I got to talking to them. We, we had a dialogue for about 30 minutes, and I get comments on that, that particular video just about every week. And I got another one even this morning from, he had to be Jehovah's Witness, because he tried to say that, um, that the Trinity was nonsensical. It wasn't logical. And one of his reasons was he said in John 17 uh, that Jesus was praying to God. And he said, if Jesus is God, I guess he was praying to himself. You know, he thought that was the gotcha moment, you know. And I just think to myself, like I just, I'm serious, I think I could make a lot of money if I sold the pictures of my face when I hear somebody say stuff like that. And, you know, I tried to walk him through it and I explained it and he, it just, you know, that's not what we believe. That's silly. It's silly and dishonest. But you know what? They can read the same Bible that I can, just spiritual darkness. Um, they don't, they, it, it just comes from a wicked heart of unbelief that doesn't accept the Scriptures and won't accept what the Word of God clearly says. <laughs> but lest we throw stones at the lost and spiritually blinded, we Christians, hey, I'm, I'm going to start meddling here. Derek was meddling this morning. I'm going to meddle a little bit now. Before we throw stones at the lost who are spiritually blind, listen, we do the same thing as Christians uh, when it comes to like our suffering and our trials. And we get the mentality, and I'm guilty of this too, we get the mentality that we can't worship the Lord unless He submits a spreadsheet detailing every bit of information about our trials and His plan for our life. We want, a, we want God to give a spreadsheet, and then we want to come together and have a contract. We want to make a, tr- a contract with God. Uh, God, these are, the, these are the things that you can have, and, and we can be good with that. These things over here are untouchable. You can't have those. Uh, let's sign and date this and get a notary and a witness. And That's not how God works. He's not going to work like that. But we want to rest on our own understanding. We want to know exactly to the T what God is doing. And it takes faith completely out of the situation. And I feel like most of the time if we're honest, uh, if God was to explain His plans and His deep understanding of the universe and why He does what He does, it would be like trying to explain calculus to a toddler. And probably you would have more luck teaching calculus to a toddler then you would understand in God's plans. He just does what He does. And we just need to trust Him while He does it. But listen, if we get that mentality that I can't worship God unless, you know what? You're never going to worship God. Because the unless may never come. The answer may never come. The, the things that you want to happen, it may never happen in this lifetime. And even in the midst of our pain and suffering, sometimes we have to worship and acknowledge God without understanding what He's doing. You will never know true comfort as a Christian unless you learn to worship and acknowledge God without understanding everything. If you don't learn to worship apart from your understanding of everything, it'll never happen. We have to worship God in spite of all that because He's worthy anyway. Romans 8, 28, when it talks about the fact that we know well, what do we know? I know everything that God is doing, and therefore it gives me perfect comfort and peace at 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is that what it says? 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and who are the called according to His purpose. Not ours. His. And so sometimes we, uh, we may lose that comfort that we otherwise would have because we want to put our comfort and faith in what we understand instead of who God is. That's the difference. Our comfort comes from a, an acknowledgement and of understanding that God is sovereign, He's in control, and we can trust Him. Um, <clears throat> we can find comfort and assurance in understanding. Um, we can find comfort in the acknowledgement of the assurance is what I'm trying to say. But number three, and I'm done. We, as Christians, we can find comfort in the strength of assurance. You know, the truth of the matter is, you can never be comforted by something that you're not sold on. You can never have any real conviction about something you don't really believe in. You can't find any assurance in something you're not assured of. I remember when I played football in high school, our coach was a real even kill. He was just a real chill guy. He didn't show a lot of emotions. But there was a couple of things that would drive him crazy. And if you wanted to see him lose his mind, I'll go ahead and tell you one of them. He used to tell us, he said, if you want to get me upset... And he said, you want to run for a very long time? You let me see you practice or play without any conviction. And he said, and he, he would always tie it back to, he said, everything in life you do, you ought to do it with conviction or you ought to not do it. And it's always stuck with me. And so you, you can't have any assurance in anything. You, you can't live with any conviction if you don't even believe it yourself. Look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul was convinced. He's writing this while he's in prison awaiting execution. He's talking about <coughs> Christ here. He says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Every single thing that we need, we can find it in Jesus Christ. And verse 4, And thus I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Look at, listen at these words here. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. There's a lot of descriptive words about a mature Christian life in that one verse. Established, built up, um, Thank, full of thanksgiving, abounding. I mean, th these ought to be uh, regular things that describe our Christian life. And the reason is because there's great strength and comfort that comes from being settled about these things. Uh, when we really understand who God is, where we came from, what Christ did to save us, uh, that our sins really are forgiven, that our suffering is ordained of God for a purpose, that all death is, for the child of God, is an escort home to heaven, uh, those things will bring us joy and strength and comfort that money can't buy. That's where our focus has to be. That's where we have to get our comfort from because these are the things that are unchanging. No matter what we're going through in life, these are the things that are unchanging. This is where we have to find our comfort. If you're finding your comfort in your health or your bank account or, your, or anything that you hold dear, it can be taken from you and will be if you live long enough. And so <clears throat> we can't find our hope in those things. Uh, many would say that having this type of confidence and assurance will lead to a lazy, 
sinful lifestyle, but that's not what the Bible says. We just saw in verse 7 the, uh, the consequences, the results of having this assurance in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say anything about being lascivious or sinful or weak or lazy. Those are not the words that are used here. But that only comes with assurance. I tell you the Christian that is most likely to backslide or to fall into sin or become discouraged or do things they're not supposed to do, and Christians can certainly do those things. I don't think they can stay there because God is our Heavenly Father. He's going, he's going to get our attention. As I've said, as a, as a Christian, as a child of God, you'll never stand before God as a judge. You'll never be punished by God as a judge, but you'll be disciplined by God as a father. There's a huge difference between those two things. Uh, I do believe Christians can do that, but I believe the most likely Christians to fall are the ones that lack assurance in what they really believe and the God that they uh, claim to know. Uh, it's, just, it's just a weakness about us. And the truth is that Satan hates confident, comforted, joyful Christians. I think about Nehemiah 8 verse 10 it says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. And this is why the very next thing that Paul warns them about is being fooled by enticing words. We read about that in verse 4. He said, This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. He knows that it's coming. Um, <clears throat> and the thing about it is, um, anytime that people are being discipled, anytime people are being saved, the Word of God's being preached, and people are being taught the right way, uh, there's going to be some false teachers that try to come in, and they don't always wear the title of a, a teacher. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, the young LDS missionaries that came to my house. We had such a great conversation. I know beyond any shadow of doubt that God was in that meeting. And one of them left in tears, and they said they wanted to come back and schedule a time. And, and I, knew that, I knew in the back of my mind, I knew this would happen. They came Thursday night. They brought another young man with them, a little bit older than they were. I knew, I knew it was coming. And when we sat down and talked, me and that older guy talked 98% of the time. And whereas they might have been disciples, he was a false teacher. I've never had anyone be so... I've never talked to anyone so dishonest about theology in all of my life. He was there to deceive. He was there to twist Scripture. He was there to try to undo what had already been done the first time they came over to the house. And that's what happens. And I even told the kids, I said, y'all recognize that, don't you? I said, you see the difference between somebody being discipled and somebody doing the discipling. That's why the Apostle Paul, like uh, when we went through the book of Galatians, and he wasn't even nice about it. He lost his mind about the fact those Galatian believers had allowed these false teachers to come in and teach a works-based salvation. And so <coughs> Satan hates that. We have to be on guard about that. We have to be assured in understanding what we believe because uh, there's a confidence that comes with that kind of assurance. I mean, think about some of the characters in the Bible. Uh, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood up to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, who could have killed him with a snap of his fingers. And while everybody else is bowing down to the music in this statue of him, they just politely said, O king, uh, we can't do this. We're not going to worship anybody but our God. And our God is able to deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we ain't going to bow. And... That comes with the assurance of knowing your God. Knowing God. They brought it back to God. 
I think about David when he stood before Goliath. He said, the Lord has delivered me from both the lion and the bear, and this Philistine's going to be just like one of them. I think about Daniel in the lion's den, or, you know, he, he refused to stop praying to God. Or the apostles, you know, they, you might not have could have found them with a coon dog and a GPS anywhere in, around crucifixion day. But listen, one of the greatest proofs, one of the greatest evidences that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead is how the apostles went out. Go look up how the apostles died. Horrible deaths. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified in the shape of an X. They tied him instead of nailing him, so he died slower. Uh, they filleted James like a fish while he was alive. Um, they... I believe, if I remember correctly, they burned Thomas in hot oil. Um, you know, just horrible deaths. And you say, what in the world changed? What got into them boys? How did they run scared on crucifixion day and then they were willing to die for a Savior that supposedly stayed dead? It's because He didn't stay dead. It's because they saw the resurrected Christ and they said, you can do whatever you want to me, but I know that my Redeemer lives. You see what changed? It was the assurance and who Christ is. You can't manipulate, you can't control, you can't intimidate somebody who really knows Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done and what He's going to do. I'm telling you, friend, I don't watch the news that much because it gets my blood pressure up and I struggle with that these days anyway. But every, listen, every time I see a, a crooked politician say, something from the microphone that he knows is a lie as he says it. Every time I see a wicked movie star, rock star, pop star glorify this LGBT lifestyle, every time I see something that just exalts itself against God, I think to myself, and sometimes I even say it out loud, I say it to the TV, I say, enjoy it while you can. Because I know that He's coming back, and I know that nobody's going to kill Him, and nobody's going to vote him out, and he's never going to die, and he's going to rule and reign this earth, and he's going to show those chumps where they got their power from in the first place. And so, uh, we need to keep these things in mind, having assurance that only comes from a relationship with this book and a relationship with God in prayer. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to get in the Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. And so, as I close, I just want to ask you this question. Even where you sit today, are you comforted? I mean, really, do you spend most of your life controlled by stress and fear or by the joy of the Lord? Are you, do you live a comforted life? I didn't say an easy life, but you can have a comforted life in Christ. The, these things are a pillow that we can lay our head on at night. If not, then why not? Paul said that we could be comforted by our hearts being knit together in love with God and with the body of Christ and by an understanding and an acknowledgement of the assurance of the mystery of Christ. Uh, has your heart been knit with God through Christ, number one? And are you striving to know Him every day? And are you acknowledging and worshiping Him in the midst of your trials? If you're not saved, you need to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you are saved and you're not comforted, you don't have any joy about that, then why? Maybe there's some things that you just need to let go of and get rid of your own understanding and say, Lord, I just want you to be God and I'll just trust you with it. That's where our comfort comes from, by knowing Him 